Um, does anyone know what the fuck is going on? Anyone? Alright, cool. It's not just me then. My name is Carly Shaner, and I am the host of the podcast, P.S. Keep It 100. I created this show to talk about the things that most people are afraid to bring up. I'm passionate about honesty, living in truth, aligning myself with God, even if society deems it completely insane. This podcast is not for the easily offended or overly sensitive. Discernment and discretion is advised. Small talk is dead. I want to talk about things that actually matter. Stuff that actually breeds change in a world full of fillers and fake. I'm here to keep it real. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to my podcast. My name is Carly Shaner, and I am the host of PS Keep It 100. And I would like to first start off by thanking you if you are listening to this because, let's see, by the time this is published, it'll be sometime late September, early October more than likely, and I have not put out anything since June. I was looking over my dashboard this morning and like I knew eventually I would record something, you know, I just didn't know what or when or why or how, um, but it's been a long time and it was nerve wracking and uncomfortable. And I've had this specific episode, um, channeled, written down and ready to go for, I don't know, probably a week now. And it was just a matter of like getting up the courage to sit down, plug in a microphone and speak into it. I have stayed fairly quiet for the past three months, unless it was somebody who was very close to me. I've, I don't want to say isolated myself, but I've definitely taken a lot of time to myself to tend to my needs as well as the needs of my family. Um... I am due with our second child at the end of November, which has been completely fucking insane. Pregnancy is one of the weirdest things I've ever experienced, and I say that with a lot of gratitude that I'm blessed to be able to not only do it once, but do it twice. Um, And this time I've had many more opportunities to kind of do what... I was led to do and trust my intuition and follow that. Um, But it's brought some challenges because it's not necessarily conventional. But that's an episode or a topic for a different day. I don't even honestly want to get into it right now. If you've ever been pregnant, you're like living in this body that's been yours for the past, for me, 36 years. But for like the past seven months... I'm so consciously aware of the fact that I'm a host for another, for another soul, you know, and like getting ready to bring that soul earth side. It's just, it's a lot. Um, and it's been a lot. It's been a lot this summer. 
there's been a lot of things going on in my personal life, um, in my marriage, in business life, in work life, in all areas of life, you know. We have another daughter, and it's just been, there's been a lot going on. Life got busy, but long story short, basically, if you're listening, I thank you. And I've watched my dashboard over the past three months that I haven't recorded anything, and people are still listening. So, um, it's weird. It's weird. It's a weird thing, but I'm grateful. So, I'm going to just get on with it. The title to this episode, um, this is going to be at least a two-part episode. If I feel called to venture on it any further, um, I will. I just, I'm at a point where I don't want to like make commitments and promises and then not keep them and beat myself up over it. You know, I've had so many ideas for this podcast and it's gone in so many different directions and most people are cool with it. Um, but this one for sure will be a two part episode. The second part of it is actually an interview and I've had this interview planned for months. Um, but like I said, life just got incredibly busy. I haven't been able to really do anything outside of tend to myself and my immediate family. That's been it. So the title of this show today, this episode is called psychedelics and alternative therapies part one. And, um, I read a meme recently that said something along the lines of the people in charge of the world have never taken mushrooms. People who have taken mushrooms can understand why this is a problem. The use of psilocybin, um, specifically, but more so psychedelics are becoming a very mainstream thing. It's being talked about a lot. Um, I can't say whether or not people are actually experimenting, but it's becoming a more widely discussed thing. And there's big sports stars right now who are openly talking about their psychedelic integration to their sports performance. There's celebrities, of course, that are always talking about what's going on at the moment because that's what Hollywood does. Um, and it's something that interests me a lot with my background, both for the mental health reasons of psychedelic therapy, but also for the reason that it is this demonized drug, you know, and, um, like it's no secret. I've done my fair share of drugs over the years. I spent 10 years in a fellowship trying to recover from the trauma that I entailed from that drug use. So for me, typically in the past, it would have been a taboo thing. I was afraid to face that part of life. But what I found over the past couple years is that um, it's a lot bigger than like our American war on drugs and all the bullshit that we've been fed, basically. And um, I've been actively studying and experimenting with plant medicine, and I'm not talking about mushrooms specifically, I'm talking about different methods of plant medicine, herbology, whatever, um, alternative therapies, both to treat mental and physical 
illness as well as trauma. You know, this has been like a two year thing that I've been learning and reading and researching and listening to way too many podcasts and just trying to find whatever information I can because it was also a product of psych wards. You know what I mean? Um, being diagnosed with a mental illness that I don't necessarily resonate with today. But at the time, um, I was heavily treated and medicated and all the things. Even comparing this pregnancy to last pregnancy. Not being on psych meds through this pregnancy, I'm so grateful. But like, holy shit, you know. Um, so, like I said, I'm not solely referring to just psilocybin and mushrooms. But rather the broad range of plants that are used to treat ailments of the body and the mind, herbs in all different forms. And that can range from teas to tinctures, supplements put on earth by God and discovered by us to help each other heal. This episode is the first of, like I said, a multi-part series, probably two parts because I've gotten at least that far, but you know, we'll see how it goes. And, um, Hopefully it gives a little bit of insight into the world of alternative therapies. You know, hopefully it opens the door for somebody who um, may be seeking to go a little bit further in their own healing journey. I wanted to return to podcast and podcasting with solid information also, not just um, me rambling or channeling or whatever but actual solid information that like, if you want, when you get done listening to this, you can go look shit up and find information. And I'm not saying it's like the easiest thing to obtain, but it's out there. You know, I wanted stuff that I could bring to the table, site resources and kind of send you guys on your own if it's something that interests you further. I have a lot of people who think that what I do is pretty insane and that's fine. Um, I'm well aware of the fact that most of my choices and decision making, at least what I publish on this podcast, it's not normal or conventional. Um, I'm not sure it's supposed to be, you know, I'm beginning to get to a point of acceptance with it. And I believe that knowledge that I've obtained is meant to be visible in some capacity to the public because it may help somebody. So in this small series, I want to provide you with both firsthand knowledge and experience, as well as the experience of others and the findings and facts, the research to shed light on this buried realm of healing, because it is a modality of healing. Here's your discretion disclaimer. I am not a doctor. I have no qualifications to give any actual advice outside of my own experiences and what messages have come to me during prayer and meditation about these specific topics. As always, use your discernment, listen with discretion and caution, do your own research and decide for yourself if the information I'm giving you resonates with you. There's always a chance I could be wrong. There's a chance we will not agree. We are human after all. So some of you may know, I spent a large period of my life in a 12-step fellowship, um, 10 years to be exact. I am currently 36 years old, so it's nearly a third of my life. I was in active recovery and therapy from the trauma that I endured and subjected myself to 
while strung out um, on drugs like cocaine and prescription benzodiazepines. And for those of you who don't know what those are, I'm sure you know what Xanax is. I'm sure you know what Valium is. I'm sure you've heard of Klonopin, those sorts of drugs. I've lost years of my life to this stuff, and I'm not even exaggerating. So um, regardless as to what led me down the path, I walked it. And I don't regret my time in the fellowship any more than I regret my time in drug use. Like, it it taught me something. It was what I needed at that time. And as cult-like as it was, it's what I needed to get me to where I'm at today. You know, I met my husband in meetings. I learned many things to help me adapt to a normal everyday life. The 12 steps themselves are astoundingly helpful. Um... But, you know, there's two sides to every story. So I want to dive into the history of 12-step programs, where they originated from, who were the founding members, and how things have changed over time. I listen to a lot of different podcasts, Um, not so much recently, but overall, um, I got into podcasting because of how much I enjoyed podcasts and how much I learned from them and how much it exposed me to different ways of thinking. And I have a variety of inspiration that comes from the spiritual side of broadcasting to the political giants to the biggest alternative thinkers, you know, any any of those categories, I'm sure somebody comes to mind for you. Also, podcasts were one of the first places where I heard someone talking about what I was thinking. However, I also experienced that in meetings to different degrees. You know, that's like why I say take what resonates and leave the rest because we may not agree on everything. So the first conflicting information that I had heard uh, in regards to um, 12-step fellowships outside of my own bitching to my close circle was a large name pastor declaring that Bill Wilson, and for those of you who don't know who Bill W. is, He is one of the founders of AA. So this pastor was declaring that Bill Wilson and his method of coming up with the 12 steps of Alcoholic Anonymous was demonic. Um, He claimed that the steps were channeled, which I believe they were, you know, as somebody who channels information, it makes sense to me. But the Christian-based view of channeling views this practice as demonic, and I've experienced that discrimination firsthand, so naturally this topic interested me, you know. The next piece of information that I heard about this topic was the claim that Bill Wilson got sober with the help of psychedelic therapy. Now, by this time, I was about a year and a half removed from the fellowship, and this piece of information was eventually what planted the seed for this episode that I am recording and you're listening to right now. So I'd like to share with you a small reading out of a published magazine article from The New Yorker, and I will link the article in the show notes if you're interested in reading it. Between 1953 and 1973, the federal government spent $4 million to fund 116 studies of LSD, Involving more than 1,700 subjects, these figures don't include classified research. 
Through the mid-1960s, psilocybin and LSD were legal and remarkably easy to obtain. Sandoz, the Swiss chemical company where, in 1938, Albert Hoffman first synthesized LSD, gave away large quantities of Delsid LSD, which to any researcher who requested it, in the hope that someone would discover a marketable application. Psychedelics were tested on alcoholics, people struggling with obsessive-compulsive disorder, depressives, autistic children, schizophrenics, terminal cancer patients, and convicts, as well as perfectly healthy artists and scientists to study creativity, and divinity students to study spirituality. The results reported were frequently positive, but many of the studies were, by modern standards, poorly designed and seldom well-controlled, if at all. When there were controls, it was difficult to blind the researchers, that is, hide from them which volunteers had taken the actual drug. This remains a problem today. If you've ever seen anybody on mushrooms, you can tell they're on mushrooms kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's hard to do a blind study with a drug such as these. The standard of research is oddly similar to the medicinal marijuana model that is operating in our current timeline, which is my two cents that I've noticed, especially with the categories of people being experimented on. Um, I am a medical card holder in the state of Pennsylvania. There are certain qualifications you need to fulfill in order to maintain um, or obtain rather a medicinal marijuana card. Um, some of them are disease of the mind. Some of them are physical disease. There's all different kinds. But when I was reading the list, um, there's definitely a lot of similarities. We've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. So by the mid-1960s, LSD had escaped from the laboratory and swept through the counterculture. In 1970, President Richard Nixon signed the Controlled Substances Act and put most psychedelics on a Schedule One, prohibiting their use for any purpose. Research soon came to a halt, and what had been learned was all about erased was all but erased from the field of psychiatry. So they just burned the paperwork, um, put a can on it. We're never talking about this again, which happens a lot in U.S. history. Um, I'm not going to give you examples, but, but it's out there. So, boom, done. The war on drugs has begun, and the research and findings come to a halt and all but disappear from experience. So I want to get into AA. AA was founded in 1935 by two men, and they went by the names of Bill Wilson and Robert Smith, a.k.a. Dr. Bob. So if you look up AA history and information now, it will read something along the lines of saying Alcoholics Anonymous is an international multi-aid fellowship of alcoholics dedicated to abstinence-based recovery from alcoholism through its spiritually inclined 12-step program. And the big word there is abstinence. So for those of you who may not know the true definition of this word, abstinence is defined as the fact or practice of restraining oneself from indulging in something, typically alcohol. It is also defined as a self-enforced restraint 
from indulging in bodily activities that are widely experienced as giving pleasure. Most frequently, the term refers to sexual abstinence, but it can also mean abstinence from alcohol, drugs, food, etc. Narcotics Anonymous, which is the fellowship that I am personally more familiar with, came along in 1953 and was founded by a man that goes by the name of Jimmy K. It is a piggyback program, and it is for those who are addicted to illicit drugs as well as alcohol. It's copied almost directly um, from the AA model. It is said in the early days of recovery, alcoholics and drug addicts were not permitted to meet together under the same roof. I don't know if this is true. I actually heard this while I was like in the rooms. Um, I don't know. If you want to look more into it or fact check me, please feel free to do so. Like I said, that's solely a rumor that I heard when I was like in the rooms is that NA was partially formed because drug addicts and alcoholics couldn't meet together. I don't know. It could be true. I have no clue. Either way, it would make sense. But um, if you want to look into that and let me know, that would be cool. But what most articles don't talk about is the fact that Bill Wilson birthed the entire foundation of AA after a psychedelic trip. Okay, this is hidden information. It's not that hidden. You can look into it. But this what this is an example of something that was erased from the history of a fellowship. He received knowledge and enlightenment through plant-based therapy to not only channel the program's writings, steps, books, and resources, but it actually helped him overcome and get to the root cause of his alcoholism, which is what plant medicine does. When Bill W. took his trip... It was a completely legal modality of medicine. It's ancient healing, ancient knowledge, um, and it was completely free and legal to obtain at that time for him. So let's look at the timeline because this is always fun for me and I like connecting the dots. So prior to 1953, the government has little to no involvement in psychedelic plant medicine. In 1935, AA is founded. It is completely legal at this time, again, to obtain and use psychedelic plants for consumption. In 1935, if you want to go buy a bag of shrooms and trip your balls off, you can do that. Nobody's going to say anything. Um, from 1953 until 1973, their government grants funding for LSD research, and that's when all those experiments are done. Now, there's lots more that we'll never know about because it's classified, it was internal, um, but it's still cool to know that there was research going on during this time. Also, in 1953, N.A. is born, which I thought was a cool coincidence. In the 1960s, the hippie movement begins. Um, In 1967, that is the summer of love, and in 69 is Woodstock. And we've heard all the things about hippies and mushrooms and LSD and the summer of love and all of the things. In 1970, the war on drugs is declared and all funding and research for LSD-based therapy <coughs> excuse me, comes to a stop. Natural healers are forced underground or they are mocked as practicing quackery, certain religious based therapies are still permitted under the Constitution's religious freedom laws, Um, but research overall is erased as if it never existed. Like, we're just not going to talk about this part of history. It's very similar to what they're doing right now with the COVID shot. We're just not going to talk about it. 
pretend that it doesn't exist, and hopefully people will forget. Welcome to America. So now it's 2022. We're at the end of 2022. Going into 2023, and what are we seeing? I see a world governed and controlled by pharmaceuticals, flat out. And as I said before, um, plant therapy and plant research is becoming a topic again, of course. But overall, we see a world, at least a country, governed and controlled by pharmaceuticals. And during the same timeline of events that I just listed, a man by the name of John D. Rockefeller was aiding, investing in, and building one of um, the biggest models that we'll ever see. Um, the The pharmacological model that is used today in Western medicine. It is a big fucking beast. It's a big old thing. Um, Plants are becoming a little bit more widely accepted, but most people know what Prozac does before they know what an adaptogen is. Like if I stop 30 people at the grocery store and ask them if they knew what Prozac was, I can guarantee almost all of them would say yes. Now, if I went and asked you, do you know what an adaptogen is and do you know what it does for your mind and body, that would open up a conversation, you know, because it's not as widely known. I spent 10 years in a fellowship dependent on pharmaceuticals because they were prescribed. Not much was said. I did get a fair bit of shit about them, but overall... It was widely accepted. Um, And if anything, my sheer openness about it and my openness about the struggles with my mind earned me a lot of respect, which looking back on it is weird. Like I'm sharing some crazy shit and you guys are like, yeah, me too. But whatever. We're all we're all mad here, I guess. Um, I didn't and really still don't care, um, who knew that I struggled with drugs and also with my mind. It's never been a hidden fact about me. It kind of just is what it is. However, when I started seeking outside help, alternative help, outside therapies, alternative therapies, alternative healing methods, I and my husband both were shunned in the 10 years that I spent in that fellowship, um, all those friendships and relationships, I would say about 98% of them dissolved, which that's a topic for a different day. But when you invest that much time, energy, effort, finances, whatever into something and it comes to a collapse, you know, there's a period of mourning and grief that goes into it. And that's what I hope to get into in the, um, the interview that will follow this episode is like dealing that was like dealing with the trauma of addiction and then we're in this place now of recovering from the trauma of being invested in a fellowship for that period of time um but we'll get into that later so either way I believe that light needs shined on this specific history and also the fact that plant-based therapy may be life-changing and life-saving in certain instances for some people. And it is a topic that should also be able to be freely talked about because information is important. And I don't think it's necessarily up to us to shun 
somebody's process, you know, whether you heal through Prozac or you heal through herbal teas and psychedelic mushrooms, like that's your journey and it should be respected. So in the next episode, at least, if not the next maybe couple episodes, I like to bring in outside views and opinions on this topic, both recovering from drugs topic um, and the other more alternative modalities of healing used to target that trauma-based response, Um, because a lot of this, the root is trauma. So getting to the root then begins the healing process and everybody's path looks different, obviously, but I want to include different experiences based around this episode because I think it's important that we share each other's experiences because you never know who's going to relate to it um, or whose story you're going to hear because of it. So if we venture off in a left field, so be it. I don't care. Welcome back. I love you so much.